2: What's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all the social media. And we're talking about prison, parents, and Pelosi. I want to get into this whole thing about prison because the United States Marine Corps officer, Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller... This guy's being held in a military prison known as the Brig. The Marine Corps officer was relieved of his command for blasting his bosses over the botched Afghan withdrawal last month. And now he's in a military lockup, according to his dad. And I actually had a chance to speak with both his parents very, very briefly uh, in my duties as Mr. Call Screener on the Mark Levin Show to talk to somebody, you know, as a parent myself thinking that my kid would ever be imprisoned in America for, for this type of thing. But there's different opinions on both sides of the aisle on different sides of the fence. So we're going to get into that. But he made this video that went viral on Facebook last month, Lieutenant Stuart Scheller, and he ripped into military leadership following the devastating suicide bombing at the Kabul airport, which killed 13 U.S. service members. And scores of Afghans, and again, this is reported in the New York Post. Following the impassioned spiel, Lieutenant Colonel Scheller announced he was resigning his commission and walking away from a $2 million pension after 17 years of service. Now you guys remember that story because we covered it on this program, This Is America, about four or five episodes, maybe six episodes ago. Then he announced that he was ordered to undergo a mental health screening. Now his father told the publication Task and Purpose that the officer is currently being held in the brig. Now, his dad, amongst other things he said, said that the kid did nothing wrong. Their uh, military brass is afraid for him to be speaking out on issues of their operational command, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, They had a gag order on him, and they asked him not to speak anymore, and that was a direct order he spoke out even more. And that's when they decided to uh, pull rank. So his parents have been uh, making the media rounds, you know, to get the message out. His mother in a phone call yesterday said that the last words that he spoke to her thus far were, tell everybody, tell everybody what's going on because he wants to get the word out. And I praised him as a hero. And I still do because I said, how is it that there are all these honorable men and women in the military? And I'm not this is not a slight on anybody in the military. Kudos to them. You know, I got much respect for them. My brother, Robert Valdez, served the United States Marine Corps. I have tons of respect for the military. And that's why I'm wondering, why is it that more Lieutenant Colonel Schellers haven't come out of the woodwork saying, this thing was messed up. I quit. I'm out of here. Including those that work uh, with and around General Milley. Really strikes me as odd that, we, that everybody's just going along to get along. When either this isn't as bad as we think, maybe we're flying off the deep end. That's what the left would have us believe. But the parents of the Marine officer who's sitting in jail, Lieutenant Colonel Schuller, they're making these rounds and they're saying that he's there because of what he said. Others are saying he's there because he denied an order from his superiors. And it's a shame. It's a real shame. I can't imagine that this is actually America, right? But this is actually happening right here in the United States. And this is where we are today. September 30th, 2021, Thursday edition of This Is America. We've got military officers in prison and it's a shame. And he's not the only one, right? He made that famous viral video that was all over the place on Facebook and he got in trouble for
1: it. But the reason people are so upset on social media right now is not because the Marine on the battlefield let someone down. That service member has always rose to the occasion and done extraordinary things. People are upset because their senior leaders let them down and none of them are raising their hands and accepting accountability or saying, we messed this up. If an O5 battalion commander has uh, the simplest live fire incident, EO complaint, boom, fired. But we have a secretary of defense that testified to Congress in May that the Afghan National Security Force could withstand the Taliban advance. We have chairmen of Joint Chief who the commandant is a member of that, who's supposed to advise on military policy. We have a Marine combatant commander all of these people are supposed to advise, and I'm not saying we've gotta be in, the, in Afghanistan forever, but I am saying, did any of you throw your rank on the table and say, hey, it's a bad idea to evacuate Bagram Airfield, the strategic air before we evacuate everyone? Did anyone do that? And when you didn't think to do that, did anyone raise their hand and say, we completely messed this up? I've got battalion commander friends right now that are posting similar things, and they're saying, you know, Wondering if it, all the lives were lost and, and if it was in vain, all those, all those people that we've lost over the last know, 20 years.
2: I've had a bunch of people, really, it's a real mixed reaction. People saying, look, you know it as well as I know it, that when you go into your employer, you don't have free speech. You don't have the right to wear a political statement on your shirt at your job. Your free, your free speech is in the public square. It's not in a private enterprise. And some people say, you know, you sign your rights away when you uh, leave being a civilian and those civilian rights and you become part of the military because you're not even part of the regular justice system anymore. You're part of the UCMJ, the Uniform Code of Military Justice. I always mess that up. Can't believe I got it right. And I find it interesting because I really, I don't know the answer to this. Uh, I tend to believe that what he did was respectful, uh, but he is in office as a... uh, as a lieutenant uh, colonel in the United States Marine Corps, and if a, a scrupulous or unscrupulous superior says, hey, look, you can't talk about that stuff anymore because you're defaming the military, I could see how that could be a direct order. And his rejection of that order, because he felt that this was the greater good to tell the truth about what's going on in Afghanistan, uh, superseded that for him morally. And he became, you know, to borrow the term from the Vietnam era, a conscientious objector, But I I don't think that changes the fact that he's there. He's still in the brig, and that's where he's at. And his parents are there uh, voraciously defending him, and I think they should. If it were my kid, I would be out there defending him just the same because they're saying their son called for accountability. And throughout the hearing today, you got these generals uh, yesterday and today. Sound the alarm. The generals are still full of crap on Capitol Hill, day three of testimony. And there was no, uh, there's no accountability for them. But yet this guy, a real hero, a patriot, willing to put everything on the line, he gets in trouble. So, of course, this is messed up. And uh, there's a website. You can go to pipehitter.org and you can donate to his legal defense if you want to. Pipehitter.org. And that's for Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller. S-C-H-E-L-L-E-R. Now, there's another story that uh, broke today on September 30th. A Marine who saved a baby from the Kabul airport is now under investigation only after he appeared at El Trumpito Donald's Magnus, the 45th president of these United States, his rally, the rally that the president, uh, President Trump had over the weekend in Georgia. Now, this is messed up. This U.S. Marine rescued a baby during the botched withdrawal from Afghanistan, and now he's under investigation only because he was at a rally uh, held by President Trump on September 25th. Now, it was reported by the publication, again, Task and Purpose, it's a military publication, that a, quote, command investigation has been initiated by the 24th Marine Expeditionary Unit. Clark told the crowd that he's from Warner Robins, Georgia, and told the crowd of people that were there that he's the guy that pulled the baby over the wall, going on to say that it was probably one of the greatest things that he'd done in his entire life. Now, the 25th MEU Marine Expeditionary Unit, has initiated a command investigation regarding Lieutenant Corporal Hunter Clark's attendance at the event last weekend to determine if any Department of Defense policies were violated. Captain Kelton Cochran, say that three times, a spokesman for the 24th MEU, said any details pertaining to this incident are not releasable while investigating the situation. All right. My question is, what is wrong with going to a political rally? That literally is the public square. That literally enough. He shows up in uniform, which I saw the picture. It didn't look like he was in uniform. And if he shows up while he was AWOL from his job, then, hey, guilty as sin. But if it's the weekend and he's not there to work and he's on his own time, why can't you be there? Now, of course, they're looking to censor absolutely everybody they can because they want to keep all the dirt under the rug to protect everybody at the top of the totem pole, starting with their commander in chief, Joe El Baboso Biden, and the rest of the, um, I don't know what to call them. I'm going to call them unscrupulous uh, bureaucrats posing as soldiers like General Milley, like former General, uh, now Secretary Austin. So Clark is being investigated. Nobody really knows what it is, but the Defense Department does not permit active duty troops to speak before a partisan political gathering. So what my conventional wisdom says that he's allowed to do, their regulations say he can't, including any gathering that promotes a partisan political party, candidate or cause, according to the publication Task and Purpose. And this is in the post-millennial. So now Trump says to the crowd, We're honored to be joined by one of the Marines who bravely served in Kabul during the withdrawal and helped evacuate children over the airport and over the airport wall. The rally-goers also heard from Trump, the former commander-in-chief, that there were 13 empty seats of honor for the U.S. troops that were killed on August 26 in a suicide attack at Kabul airport. So that's the story. Lance Corporal Hunter Ian Clark Pulled the baby over the wall. did it, He uh, did, committed, whatever you want to say. An act of heroism. And now, now he's under investigation. Lieutenant Colonel Scheller spoke up for what he thought was being done wrongly by his organization, the United States Marines, the United States military. And now he's in trouble. Is this really how it's going to be? It seems that way. Am I making all too much? I don't know. Maybe I'm making a big deal out of nothing. This just seems unjust to me. Anyway. I want to get into that. I also want to talk about somebody else that they're trying to put in prison. This guy's not a soldier. This guy happens to be a YouTuber in New Jersey. And this is an interesting story because his name is Omni in a Hellcat. And he shows off his car collections. He does a bunch of things. He, he just is an Instagram influencer, makes YouTube videos. And he's making a bunch of money off a streaming service. And they're saying that he's pirating the streaming service. So my question to you is, they're saying he should get life in prison, for stealing streaming content. Now, presuming it's legit, his lawyer says no, that he discovered some sort of loophole where he was able to um, redistribute this stuff and was able to profit on it. And it's not copyright infringement and it's not piracy and that he's doing the right thing and that he's 100% legit. And the, the, the penalty is life in prison. And I think, my goodness. I mean, I understand that ignorance is no excuse, but you don't get life in prison for Hitting cops over the head with a baseball bat during a riot or anything else. And for a white collar crime like this, really, really interesting that they're trying to throw this guy into jail. So we'll uh, jump back into that topic in a minute. Uh, straight ahead, we're going to talk about what's going on with certain parents. What did Education Secretary Becerra say today on Thursday on Capitol Hill and everything else that we're going to cover. So don't move a muscle. I am Rich Valdez. This is America.
1: This
0: is America.
1: This is America.
2: All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S. And if you want to get at us on social media, it's at Rich Valdez with an S on all the social media. I definitely want you to check that out. Drop a comment. Feel free to give us one of those five-star reviews that you guys do, and you do them so well. That stuff keeps us going. I get the feedback. I read every last one of the comments. I appreciate it, and it really means a lot to us. So please uh, check that out when you can. Drop a comment on your whatever you use, your iHeartRadio or Apple podcast or whatever it is, it's always appreciated. Now we're talking about parents and what parents are doing. They've been in droves going out to school board meetings and definitely more of that is needed. That's how we're going to reform the system by being involved in the system and applying pressure to the system. It's the only way to push back, become the system. But you've got certain politicians that don't believe that parents have this ability to weigh in on their children's education on what the future holds for their children. And this is interesting because politicians at the school board level who don't believe that parents are the actual stakeholder are the same politicians that, you know, will create your tax policy later when they run for something else and think that it's not we the people that runs the government, but the government that runs the people. And that's wrong. So, I'm looking at, you know, two different clips of audio here. The first one being Secretary, I think his name is Javier Becerra, right? I hope I said that right. And he uh, was testifying in front of Congress. And he says, look, parents shouldn't be the primary stakeholders in their kids' education. Listen to this.
1: Fairly quick answers here because I want to get to Secretary Becerra. Do you think parents should be in charge of their child's education as the primary stakeholder? I believe parents are important stakeholders, but I also believe educators have a role in determining uh, educational programming. And I think that's going to be a little out of focus, what I think you're going to find across all elements of education. Since they pay the bills, they raise the kids, they probably need to be the primary uh, spokespeople for their own kids' good education.
2: All right, now I'm going to be very, very middle of the road here. I'm going to say if parents should not be the primary stakeholder in their kids' education then it's got to be the kid, right? It should be the kid that's the primary stakeholder of their education. But that's lamentably not what this uh, Mr. Secretary Basera was talking about. No, he was saying that, look, we know better than you. We, the government, know more than we, the people. We know what's better for your kid than you do. Educators need to do this. We're smarter. We went to school for this stuff. All you do is raise these kids, right? We're actually teaching them five, six, seven hours a day. And in those six hours that we have your kids, we are shaping their entire lives. What you do is trivial. Now, that may be true for some people who don't take their jobs as parents very seriously and very actively. And this is where the indoctrination happens. If you're not doing anything at home to counteract that or to to, to balance it at the very least, we got a problem, Houston. But to me, the glaring problem that we have here is that he straight up, under oath, whatever, public forum decides to say, look, parents aren't in charge of their children's education, punto y final. That's it, bottom line, period, the end. And that's bull. If you can't be in charge of your kid's education, when you're the person paying for this education, whether it's through property taxes, whether it's through um, actual tuition, because maybe you send your kid to a, a private school or a daycare facility, and this is why they're always saying that they need more programs, because if they can give you the program in what's perceived to be free, free universal pre-K, free health care, free this and free that, then you don't get to complain and say, well, you know, if it's free, it's for me. I'll take it. You know, beggars can't be choosers, blah, blah, blah. It's better to get it. You know, we're already paying taxes. We might as well. And now we become part of this welfare state where they decide our future and our fate, not us. They decide what our children learn and what happens, not us. I told you before, and I'll tell you again, I spent almost a decade, a good solid nine years, in, in some of the, and before that, I was active as an education advocate in New Jersey as a school board member and for a charter school, beloved community charter school, Jersey City, New Jersey, right in downtown Jersey City. And a big part of what we wanted to do in creating that school was emulate the idea that had been extensively written about by the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. of the beloved community, where you love your neighbor, where, you know, one student helps the next student. You help your fellow man, where students took accountability and responsibility as scholars and parents took a front seat in their kid's education. And we took it from something that sounded nice on paper to something that actually came to life in practice, in actuality, in the city of Jersey City. And those kids, you'd be floored to see how well they perform. They'll tell you things like, oh, kids that receive free or reduced lunch, they're not uh, capable of performing like the other kids. They're not capable of reading at the grade level they're supposed to be in. Lies, BS, all of it. These little scholars are on point, sharper than you and me. Extremely well behaved because the teachers, the faculty, the uh, administration, and the parents, everybody's involved. Now, it's not a utopia. But when you change things up and you have a school day that doesn't end at 3, that goes on to 4, goes on to 5, does aftercare till 6 and kids come in as early as 7 o'clock, now you've got a solid school day and where you provide empowerment, where you say, you know what, this is your thing and we're going to give you some guidance on how to do it. and We're going to make sure that you learn and if there's an issue, we're going to identify whether it's a learning problem or a teaching problem, something that you never see in the public school district, never. They never look to assess whether it's a teaching problem except for when they do observations. And that's few and far between the way this charter school runs. And again, this is not an infomercial for beloved, but my point is when you are able to change the rules of the game, you're able to get different outcomes and that works both ways. So we changed the game of public education. You apply for a public charter, you create your own school. And now, wow, your kids are learning and they're learning better the same way when you start these lawsuits and all of this stuff that they did in 2020 in the election and change in the game saying, well, now, we're going to ignore the constitution in terms of you know time, place, and manner of elections and how state legislatures are in charge of that. And we're going to go with what these judges ordered. And uh, these judges are going to order this, that, and the other. And by lawsuit, by way of litigation, we're going to change the law without even going through lawmakers, without ever going through the lawmaking process in the legislature. And of course, if it doesn't sound like it makes sense, it doesn't make sense. They usurped the will of the people, the representatives of the people, the state legislature, and went straight to the judiciary. And it doesn't work that way, but they got away with it because the people at the highest level of the judiciary in the Supreme Court said, so messy, not touching it. You guys clean it up or else, or else what? Or else we'll ignore it. And here we are, President Biden. So we got to take this stuff seriously. And this Secretary Becerra, he's not the only one. In the debate between Glenn Youngkin and Terry McAuliffe, who was former governor of Virginia and also a uh, DNC chair and uh, the Kumbari Chief, like my guy Curtis says, of the Clintons, one of their biggest bundlers. He, um, he also says, parents should have no say in a child's education. Listen to this. We watched
1: parents so upset because there was such sexually explicit material in the library.
3: I decided to check the titles at my child's school. Both of these books include pedophilia, graphically describes engaging in fellatio with male minors.
1: You vetoed the bill that would have informed parents that they were there. Yeah, I (laughs) stopped the bill that I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. I'm Glenn Youngkin, candidate for governor, and I sponsored this ad.
2: So here you have it. He's making the case for big government, saying, no, we're not going to let parents Now, I understand if you want to, the most literal sense of this, saying I'm not going to allow a parent to just march into a school and take a book off of a shelf in the most literal sense of those words. However, this is a, a, a battle of ideas here, right? So he's talking about these specific laws that would give parents more opportunity to, to weigh in on things and saying how he vetoed them. And, and this is the problem when the government feels that they know better than you. This is why I say, you must replace that government. You must become that government and be the change that you want to see, like Gandhi said. We have to do it that way. There's no other way. And again, I'm not going to get into my tangent on civil war. It's too late to change the hearts and minds. I have these arguments all the time with my friends and my family. And they're like, no, no, Rich, you're too late. Can't do it. And then all these questions, it always starts the same way too. It always starts, doesn't matter what part of the country you talk to. they all start the same way. At what point? At what point? Now the problem is starting the sentence with at what point and making this at what point statement presumes that there's a point, right? So that very presumption that there is some sort of magic point where all people will decide the same thing, where all people will be fed up, where all people do the same thing is nonsensical. There is no point. If there was such a point where everybody just says enough is enough and and they're ready for uh, pitchforks and torches... If that really were the case, this would have happened in 2008 when some guy who ran for president said, look, I'm going to fundamentally change America. And he had these radical views in this radical church. And guess what? People embraced him with open arms and he never even lied. The only thing Barack Obama didn't tell the truth about was his view on gay marriage, that he said, we're going to support the Defense of Marriage Act. And then once he felt it polled good enough for him to go against that, he lit up the White House in the color of the gay flag. And said, I, I'm, I'm now pro-gay marriage because, you know, it's been accepted and they've had the Supreme Court case and whatever. And that's that. He never changed his position on anything. Maybe if you, if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. All right, that was a specific policy lie. But I'm talking about just on big general ideas. He's always told us who he was. He campaigned for president of the United States by giving rock star speeches in Berlin, Germany. I mean, you tell me if that's not a globalist, what is? That's as far as it gets from America first, campaigning for president of the United States internationally, but people still voted and they love this guy. So you tell me if that was the time in this racist country of ours, this white supremacist nation, right? If that wasn't the time, if he wasn't the straw that broke the camel's back, or when he said, you know, if I had a son, he'd look like Trayvon Martin, and put a target on every police officer and... Five Dallas police officers were then snipered after that. If that didn't break the back of every American, at what point? At, at what point? At what point? There is no such point because we're not a monolith. We're a country of individuals, mainly individuals that want to be left alone and that want nothing to do with politics, and they use that against us. They use it against us at the federal level, at the state level, at the local level with the school board. And that's why we have guys like Javier Becerra that are the education secretary saying parents shouldn't be the primary stakeholder in their kids' education. It's why we have uh, former governors and gubernatorial candidates like Terry McAuliffe saying parents should have no say in their kids' education. Because too many people say, I just want to be left alone. Like Reagan said, get off my back and get your hand out of my pocket. We're past that. They got a hand in each pocket and they're literally clamped onto your back. The time for talking has gone. It's the time for action. We have to take action to remove them from whatever power and authority they have to do what they do. We can't have ed secretaries like this. We can't have gubernatorial candidates like that. I mean, you could have them. We're not totalitarian dictators. We can't say what can exist and what cannot, but we can run the best damn candidate we can find and we can beat them each and every single time, starting with the battle of ideas in the marketplace of ideas. That's where we have to win. That's where the battle's happening. Anyway, let me get off my not a single shot was fired soapbox and tease what's coming up next because the same way they're telling parents what to do, they're telling people what to do with this vaccine stuff. And today, everybody, where's the Republicans? Where's the Republicans? I'll tell you where the Republicans are. House Republicans introduced a bill to prevent the Biden administration from enforcing vaccine mandates on Americans. A group of House Republicans will introduce legislation Thursday that would prevent President Joe Biden's administration from enforcing a vaccine mandate on the American people. And of course, this is important because one of the biggest groups is the uh, U.S. military and all the federal employees, except for the postal uh, service, right? They've been exempt. But this is from the Daily Caller, and this is out today—an uh, exclusive they have today or last night—and they have, they read the le- legislation and wrote this little piece on it. So I'll recap that uh, on the other side of this. I also want to get into what did Pelosi say about the debt ceiling? What does Janet Yellen have to say? And what did Obama say about that? Because he weighed in a couple of days ago, and we didn't play that. So don't move a muscle. Keep it locked right there. I am Rich Valdez, and this is America.
1: This is America. This is America.
2: All right America, welcome back. Segment number 3, the final segment, and a little housekeeping. We got James Agresti from Just Facts, Just Facts Institute has put out a study on masks, mask wearing contradicting some of the stuff and using the same facts that the government used and the World Health Organization used to make the case that they were not as effective and they weren't really honest in their guidance. So, we're going to get to that when James Agresti joins us. Uh not today, but next week I had mistaken. I thought it was going to be this Thursday. I think it's going to be next Wednesday. So keep your eyes peeled for that and check them out at justfacts.com slash rich. And you could sign up for all the free updates. You don't have to pay for anything. Check out our guys at Just Facts. Now, I want to talk about Nancy Pelosi and what she said, but I wanted to finish up my thought on House Republicans and what they're doing to stop this vaccine mandate at the federal level and the health freedom act for all would prevent the secretary of labor from enacting an emergency rule to require employers to mandate vaccines medication or medical procedures such as covid take two i said that wrong such as covid-19 testing for all employees also the bill states that under existing law Uh, under the OSHA standards for the Occupational Health and Safety Administration, they actually don't have the authority to force Americans to undergo medical procedures, taking vaccines, or even undergoing testing. Now, President Biden's uh, vaccine testing mandate far exceeds the authority granted to OSHA that was given to them by Congress. So they continue, and uh, Claudia Tenney had some great things to say about Congresswoman from New York. She said, I received my vaccine and support voluntary vaccination efforts. However, I strongly oppose anybody being forced to receive the vaccine or it being made a condition of employment. My common sense bill makes clear that OSHA does not have the authority to force Americans to receive vaccines or undergo testing. And maybe we can get um, Congresswoman Kenny, uh, excuse me, Tenney, Claudia Tenney to join us. And uh, that means I would have to be quiet and she would have to do the talking. And, you know, I like to do the talking. So we'll see if we get her. Maybe we will. Maybe we won't. But it goes on. And she added, like President Biden's extension of the CDC's uh, eviction moratorium earlier this year, this mandate is yet another attempt by the administration to skirt the law and using government coercion. And it's failing to do so through persuasion. She's honored to partner with Congressman Banks on this, yada, yada, yada. We'll get to that later. Maybe never, because it's really, you know, uh, some of the minutiae in the article. But you get the point. And that's the bottom line. She, what she I I totally support what she's saying. You wanna get the vaccine, get the vaccine. And if you don't wanna get the vaccine, don't get the vaccine. I think that's pretty clear. And really for me, it ends there. there there's really no much more to it. Now I get the argument that private employers wanna do their own thing. Uh, This is about a federal mandate. If your employer decides to do this without the federal mandate, um, you know, then that's a whole different lawsuit, a whole different circumstance. And maybe that happens. Maybe that doesn't happen. I think most employers don't want to go through this rabbit hole if they don't have to. A lot of them were forced into it. Now, there's a few that said, you know, government or no government, when Biden started making those calls – They decided to jump in because they'll do anything that Joe El Baboso Biden tells them to do. They'll do anything that Nancy La Bruja Pelosi tells them to do. And one of the things that Nancy La Bruja is asking people to do is to kind of turn a blind eye to what's actually happening with this debt ceiling. You know, it's the good old debt ceiling that is so low, so zero, right? It's zero dollar package that they're calling a $3.5 trillion package and they're arguing every day. And today's the last day, right? It's uh, four o'clock in the afternoon on Thursday, September 30th, if they don't get this done by tonight, by midnight, 1159 or whatever, we go into government shutdown. Joe Manchin is saying, look, look, I'm not a liberal. I'm not this. I'm not that. I will vote for up to 1.5 trillion, but that's it. So they're going to lower it. They're going to have their, my presumption is that they're going to lower it. They're going to agree on something. They're going to continue. And you know there'll be some compromise because it was too much. But the point is, this stuff is far-reaching, and it goes a little bit further than one thinks. And Nancy Pelosi thinks that everybody's stupid. And she says, well, look, we're, we're on a path to pass this. That's what Democrats do. And she, you know, mumbles her way through it. But listen to this.
3: Are you committed to having a vote on infrastructure today? Yes. Regardless of whether you have the vote to... I am... Dancing, I don't... We're on a path to win the vote. I don't want to even consider any options other than that. That's just the way it is. And that's that's our culture. You don't understand that culture. You don't understand that culture. But that's our culture. We go in it to win it.
2: Now, if that weren't enough, Nancy LaBruja Pelosi parked her broom in the corner of the congressional hall there and decided that she wanted to continue speaking about this. And she says, I know that you've come here about what else comes next. And we have two items. Anyway, let's get her another drink and let you hear what she had to say. Check this out.
3: So, now you've come here about what else comes next. We have two items that were, well, the, the, the bipartisan infrastructure bill, the BIF, and, of course, the, reconcil- the reconciliation I just told my, uh, members of my leadership that the reconciliation bill was a culmination of my service in Congress because it was about the children, the children, the children, the children, their health, it's about health, education, the economic security of their families, a clean, safe environment in which they could thrive, and, and I guess a world at peace in which they could succeed. This is more about the Domestic first, poor parts of poor parts of that. So, remove all doubt in anyone's mind that we will not have a reconciliation. We will have a reconciliation bill. That is for sure. The, today, the question is about. Uh, we are proceeding in a very positive way to bring up the bill of the, the BIF. To do so in a way that can win, and so far, so good for today. <laughs> Now this is the same woman that a day a day earlier said that it would be a dereliction
2: of her duty if the infrastructure bill went in the wrong direction as it pertained to climate change, saying it's a moral issue to pass the planet on to future generations. So meaning yeah, we have to pass on this country, this nation, this world to the future generations and we want to do the best we can. But that doesn't mean that we do it by way of government and it doesn't mean we do it by way of destroying our economy. We want to have the strongest economy that we can have so we can hand that off to our children. Nobody says, look, when I die, I'm leaving you my debt, right? That's why we have capital gains tax. You want to leave your children your everything. At least most people do. They want them to be well so that they can build generational wealth and have a legacy. So yeah, I get the altruism of it. But come on, Nancy Labruja, pick up that broom, fly around a little bit and smell the coffee. This isn't how it works. You can't just legislate your way to a cleaner planet when you have people like India and China or countries like India and China that don't even come close to being as clean as the United States and, or as green as the United States. So I really, I, I stop listening. I say, look, you know what? Do what you got to do to be responsible, recycle, reuse, reduce, whatever you want to do. But don't start changing the economy. Don't start telling me that I can't drive my Ford SUV. Then I, you know, my, my, my Ford Expedition with a 5.4 liter engine, eight cylinder power. Vroom. I like that. It's my third Expedition. I like them. I don't want to drive an electric version of it. I don't want to allow China to start making tons of money because they're going to be the leader in the creation of electronic uh, or electric rechargeable batteries for vehicles. I'm not throwing them uh, a bone. Maybe Biden's throwing that. I'm not doing that. And this is where we are. Because again, they think we're stupid. And this is why for me, all roads come back to telling people to get involved one way or another. I don't care how you do it. I don't care if you want to be Thomas Paine. I don't care if you want to be Paul Revere. I don't want to, if you want to be Ben Franklin, you pick one of the founders as an example and go for it. Be George Washington for all I care. What I don't want you to do is become Jefferson Davis, right? Don't become Robert E. Lee. Oh, ouch. Yeah, I said it. A lot of people, that's Levin's line, right? That's right. I said it. But I did. I did say it because I, I don't applaud Robert E. Lee is one of the greatest military minds ever. Yeah, I'm sure he was a great general. I've read about it, sure. But to me, the last thing he did kind of defined everything else he did. And I know people, Rich, you're misunderstanding it. You know, people had to work on both sides. It was a different, listen, it was a different time then. It's a different time now. And my opinion now is he was a secessionist insurrectionist. How about that? To use a couple of lines from the, uh, from the, that get thrown around so uh, loosey goosey today. Anybody who's advocating for the union that so much American blood has been spilled to defend, anybody that wants to create a divided states of America legally, not in practice the way we have now because we're divided by red states and blue states. No, no, no. I'm talking about actually breaking off from the union, actually breaking my country. No, thank you you become the enemy. Anyway, that's all I've got for today. I am Rich Valdez. If you stand for nothing, you will fall for anything. And remember, the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good people like you to do nothing. So let's heed the words of Hamilton. Let's take heed to the words of Sir Edmund Burke and Lord Acton and others and be the change we want to see in the world, like Gandhi said. Because if you won't, who will? And if not now, when? You remember Reagan saying that This is what we got to do. Anyway, take care of that. Do what you got to do. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time, I am Rich Valdez and this is America.
1: This is America.